We want to turn our attention to the book of Acts, chapter 10. This is going to be part two of this little series within the whole series of breaking down prejudice. Breaking down prejudice. Uh, today we want to focus our attention on the disinclined servant. The disinclined servant. We want to focus our attention on verses 9 through 23 today. And as you're turning there, I, I read a story of a man who s several years ago talked about his drinking. He liked to go to the bar after work at the end of a week just to throw a few back. Sometimes he would get a little intoxicated, but he, he wasn't an alcoholic by no means. At one point, he, he felt the Lord telling him to give it all up. But he didn't really want to. Felt like he wasn't hurting anyone. And even tried to rationalize him drinking a few by saying it may give him an opportunity to share the gospel with someone else who may be drinking beside him. <laughs> but eventually God's spirit broke down his resolve. Finally, with a sense of brokenness and defeat, the reluctance that he had, he had to give in. Ten years later, in a conversation, he said that immediately he began to feel better physically. He said he had more energy. He didn't seem to get sick as often. He didn't get congestion in his chest. Food tasted better. Smells were more vibrant. Even though he didn't smoke, the smoke in the bar was getting to him more than he realized it was. And he even lost some weight because of the calories he was no longer drinking. But most of all, he said, God began to open up so many opportunities and blessings for him. He rarely thinks about it now and doesn't even know why he was so reluctant to give it up in the first place. Now, I'm convinced... I'm convinced that God is desiring to bless us more than what we could ever imagine. But we're so often disinclined or we're reluctant to follow him when he's asking us to do something that might make us a little uncomfortable. I often wonder how many blessings will I weep over when I stand before my Savior and I see those blessings burned up because I failed or because I was reluctant to obey his instruction. How often are we disinclined to follow him because of our fear of being uncomfortable? When this is the case, it would help us all to remember that God will not send us on a task that he is not preparing us or that he has not already prepared us for. When we look in this text, we begin to see how Peter begins to experience this. The Bible tells us in verse 9, 
verse 9, the Bible says the, the next day as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat, but while they were while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheep bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air. And the voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And the voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Now while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been, who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for, Simon, for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore go and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God, and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by the holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. This is God's holy word. God, we thank you for this day you've given us. We thank you for what our hearts have already felt this morning. But God, we thank you for your word. Your word is, is powerful, is sharper than any two-edged sword. And I pray, God, that you would take your word today, speak to our hearts, and encourage us and instruct us. And God, as you do, help us to apply your word to our lives so that our lives would be a reflection of your love and your grace and your mercy. God, we pray that if there's one here today who doesn't know you through the forgiveness of sin, who doesn't know you through your son, Jesus Christ, that God, today, that they would call out, and that's what must I do to be saved. For God, we know that you're just and you're faithful, and you're willing to, to forgive them of their sins and cleanse them from all unrighteousness. Today, God, can be a brand new day for one lost soul today. We pray, God, your will be done in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, last time we were together uh, in this book, we looked at verses 1 through 8 in this same chapter, and what we noticed was a devout sinner. And as we noticed this devout sinner by the name of Cornelius, we noticed he was a very unique man. He was a Gentile who was greatly devoted to God. That was very rare. 
in that day. We, we noticed his devotion by the fact that he had led his family to fear God. He gave alms generously to people and that he was a man of prayer. While he was devoted to God, there was something missing in his life. So we had to ask the question, what was it that was missing? And we realized that what was missing was a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. At this point in Cornelius' life, he did not know Jesus as his Lord and Savior. At this point, it appears that that he didn't know Jesus as his Savior because no one had told him that Jesus was God's only begotten Son. It appears that no one had shared with him that if he would believe and he would receive Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, that he would not perish, but that he would have everlasting life. The only way we can get to God... It's through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus even stated this in John 14 and 6, that no one comes to the Father except through me. So here it appears to us that no one had shared this with Cornelius. And knowing the genuineness of Cornelius' heart, God visited him. Boy, isn't God faithful? (laughs) His goodness It goes further than we can even realize. Here's a man who didn't know God, but he was devoted to God. He didn't know God because he didn't know God's son. So God stepped out and God visited him. And God instructed him to send men to Joppa. To find Simon, whose surname was Peter. And that he would tell him what he should do. You know, with total obedience to God, Cornelius did just that. However, what we find is that Peter in Joppa, he was not quite prepared for what God had in store for him. So God has to begin a preparation process for Peter. So what we want to notice in this passage is we notice the vision that Peter experienced. Now, what we, now we may be wondering, why wouldn't Peter be prepared for what God had in store for him? After all, Peter was a man who walked with Jesus three years. Peter was a man who actually walked on water toward his Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter was a man who the Bible declared was filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Peter was able to say to a beggar, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth rise up and walk and when he said this the man rose up and immediately began to walk he didn't need physical therapy he didn't need help of anyone else he just got up and the Bible declares that he leaped and he ran a man who had been lame from birth so again the question has to be why would Peter not be prepared For these men coming to get him to go share the gospel to Cornelius. Well, Cornelius was a Gentile and Peter was Jewish. Between these two races was a long history of racial discrimination. 
Hospitality between Gentiles and Jews just did not exist. It was unheard of in that time. As a matter of fact, the only way Gentiles were accepted by the Jews was if the Gentiles became proselytes. And then they were second-class Jews. What I mean by being a proselyte, they had to convert to the Jewish way of life. Uh, Even with this, if you were a male and you were a Gentile and you converted to Judaism, this meant that you had to be circumcised. Now, there's another reason why I say misery loves company. You'll get that later. Listen, to be a male with no anesthesia, with nothing to dull the pain, and then to know that you have to be circumcised, it's not something you would look forward to. So you know the Jews held something huge over the heads of these Gentiles. But the top racial discrimination, there was religious differences. The Jews were monotheistic, which means that they served the one true God. The Gentiles were polytheistic, which meant they served many gods. So, we find reason here why Peter wasn't quite ready (laughs) for what God had planned for him. The problem with this is that we may feel we're not ready for what God has planned for us. But that's not what matters. What matters is when God is ready. You may not be ready. I may not be ready to approach the person that we're uncomfortable with or a person who's not from our neighborhood or even a person whose lifestyle is different from ours. But if God is ready for us to go, that's what makes all the difference. If God is able to reconcile us to himself through the death, burial, resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, surely God knows how to reconcile us to one another. regardless of our differences if God's ready we might as well get ready we see this same scenario played out in chapter 8 with the Ethiopian eunuch through the ministry of Philip, what we see is that God got involved. P- uh, Philip had no idea what he was about to encounter. He had no idea what was going on, but, but God was working in the seeds. He had been working in Philip's life. He had been working in the life of this Ethiopian eunuch, and God orchestrated their paths to cross. And in doing that, Philip was able to share the gospel with this Philip, with this Ethiopian, this Gentile. He was able to not only share the gospel, but he was able to baptize this man into the family of God and I want to tell you it had to be a wonderful experience for Philip to lead someone to know Jesus Christ no he wasn't prepared in his own mind but God had prepared him for it and made him ready so here we find Peter he's up on a rooftop praying and Peter suddenly becomes hungry and he wanted to eat but Before he could eat, he experienced a vision from heaven. Peter saw heaven open up. And then he saw what looked like a large sheet bound on the corners, descending from heaven to earth. On the sheet was all sorts of animals. Animals that were accepted and animals that were forbidden by the Jewish dietary laws. Now, Peter heard the instructions, rise, Peter, kill and eat but he refused the instructions of God actually what Peter said was that 
was that what God had prepared for him to kill and eat was unclean and common. Well, that's bold to tell God <laughs> that what you've given me is unclean. But then he heard a voice from heaven that said, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now, Peter then experienced this two more times. Can we imagine just how perplexed Peter was? He shared his faithfulness to God's law. And then he was told not to call what God has cleansed common. Basically, God was telling Peter to eat what Peter had been instructed all his life by God's law not to eat. Can you imagine three different scenes of this? Can you imagine the confusion going on in the mind of Peter? So the question becomes, is God contradicting his word? I want to assure you today upon the authority of God's word that God is not, a, you won't find a contradiction anywhere in God's word. As a matter of fact, if you find a contradiction, just keep reading, keep studying, you'll find you're wrong. Because God's word is perfect. God's word is holy. God's word is settled. God's word is inerrant. It is infallible. It cannot lie and it will not lie. There is no contradiction here. We've got to keep in mind that God's law was given to Israel to set them apart from the rest of the world. Even their dietary laws, it set them apart from the rest of this world. And by following God's law and these dietary laws, it would, it would separate them from everyone else by their conduct and by their morality. But God, and by God giving Israel his law, Israel became the custodian of God's word to man. What does that mean? It became Israel's responsibility to reveal God's word to man, to share God's word to the world. In other words, God's word came through Israel and they were responsible for sharing God rid the rest of the world. But when Jesus Christ came to earth, he fulfilled God's law. He fulfilled not only God's law, but he fulfilled God's will. And God took the next step in his plan. And now Jesus and his followers are the custodians of God's revelation. What does that mean? It means that, that Jesus Jesus Christ is the revelation of God as a man and for Jesus being 100% God and Jesus being 100% man. As a matter of fact, you know what Jesus said in John 14 and 9? He says, I, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? If you want to see the Father, look at Jesus because Jesus is God as a man. And now Jesus revealed God. By coming as a man, he revealed God to the world. John 1, 11 through 13 says, he, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become the children of God. And those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of man, but of God. Somebody should have shouted right then. When God had sent his word to the Jews and the Jews rejected him, God turned to you and I. He turned to us Gentiles and he said I'll reveal myself through my son to you and because he did that now we are custodians of God's revelation what that means is we're responsible now the Jew and the Gentile who received Jesus 
who have believed, we become the custodians. We become responsible for what? For sharing God with the world. <laughs> because of this, the Jews are not the only ones who received the revelation of God. No, we've been able to receive it. Now it's no longer religion that has to proclaim Jesus, God's revelation, but it's the church. It's the church who proclaims the revelation of God. And we reclaim it by proclaiming Jesus. It's our responsibility to make known to the world, no matter how different the world looks from us. We may think that we're not ready to share Jesus Christ with certain people. Maybe it's because they're of a certain race. Maybe it's because it's people of a certain lifestyle. Maybe it's because it's people of a certain religion. No matter how different, we who've received the revelation of Jesus Christ, in other words, if we've been born again, if we've been blood washed, if our name has been recorded in the Lamb's book of life, we have the responsibility to share Jesus Christ with this world. We may not know all the details. We may not have all the answers. We may not even be the most eloquent of speakers. But the Holy Spirit of God, he knows all the details. He has all the answers that we need. And he'll put the words in our minds and our mouths if we'll just trust him. God is working in us right now. He's working, preparing us for the next step that he has for us to take. We must be willing to take that step if we want to receive the blessings of God. However, if we're disinclined, if we're reluctant to trust him, we may find ourselves uncomfortably weeping before the Lord. Oh, I'd rather be uncomfortable in this side of life than to be uncomfortable before him. So we have the choice to make. Are we going to trust him here? Or are we going to weep before him there? You know, I've said this, and this isn't part of my notes, but I'm going to say it again. If you think this church will continue to grow by people who look like us, by people who are related to us, we're sadly mistaken. If we want to see this church be what God has to be, if we want to see this church become what God would have it to become, we need to share the gospel with whosoever will. And we need to be inviting whosoever will, regardless of their background, regardless of their race, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of what their former religion was, we need to look like heaven's going to look. I promise you, <laughs> heaven's not going to look like the tribe. Say amen. Gosh. <laughs> it's not going to look like the tribe. Not the Navajo tribe. Not the Lumbee tribe. It'll have us in there. <laughs> uh, but it won't be one people group unless you consider God's people one people group. And if you do, then we should all look like we've been mixed up with something or someone else. Yes. Now, I said that. <laughs> so we noticed that the vision that Peter 
experience. Also in this passage, we begin to notice the visitors that Peter encountered. And we're coming to an abrupt end here. And I, I want us to really get this. So why becomes my question. It may become your question. Why did God have to go to such extremes to have Peter experience such visions? Well, if you would have asked Peter, he wouldn't have considered himself prejudiced. By not interacting with Gentiles, he thought that he was standing against unrighteousness and ungodly men. Well, don't you hate it when people just look at you and because you look a little different, they have automatic assumptions of your character? Don't you hate that? And that's exactly what he was doing. That's exactly what the Jewish nation was doing. That's what they had been taught to do, which was against God's word from the beginning. If Peter was to change and begin to reach those that he considered ungodly or those he considered unjust, he had to have instructions that he knew without a doubt they came from God. <laughs> and by God giving him these visions, which the Bible calls a trance, he was sure it come from God. So while Peter is thinking about the visions, he's wondering what it meant. He isn't, he's still not quite clear. And then all of a sudden, the men arrive from Caesarea, and they ask for him. And the Holy Spirit tells Peter, three men are seeking you. They're telling, the Holy Spirit tells Peter that to go and go down, to go with them, uh, doubting nothing, for they were sent by God. And here it appears that Peter, as a Jewish man, was ready to be reconciled. It seemed like in that moment, things begin to click. And Peter's ready to be reconciled to whosoever decide, desired to hear about Jesus Christ. Peter obeyed. He went where the Gentile men were. He identified himself. He asked what they needed of him. And, and then when they shared with him that, 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 they, that they were servants of of Cornelius and Cornelius sent them to get him so that he could come and share with Cornelius. They didn't even know what to tell him he was to share with Cornelius. Peter has no idea what he's got to do but what he does is he realizes well I must need to share Jesus with this man for him to come and send these men for me. If there's anything I know I know fishing and I know Jesus. So he had to come to terms with the fact that he had to share Jesus. And I want to tell you there are some things that, that I'm just not sure of in this world we've been renovating Taylor a house and I want to tell you I'm no carpenter by no means if, if I don't have help I'm in trouble if I'm trying to do it by myself I'm in a mess because I don't know nothing at all about it I don't have those skills but I tell you what I do know I know that I've been born again I know without a doubt that I've been saved and I know God has called me into the gospel ministry and because of that I know when someone's sitting for me there must want to to hear about Jesus Christ. Oh, I tell you, I think it would be in our best interest that whenever anyone sins for us, that the first thing comes to our mind is they must want to hear about Jesus. Boy, what if that was the first thing to come to our mind anytime somebody called for us? They answer the phone. Hello, this is Hilton. You want to know about Jesus? You know, that may sound a little extreme, but if they're calling you, they're needing something. 
And if they don't know Jesus, they need him more than anything they could ask you for. Yeah, none of this is in my notes. <laughs> Here, it appears Peter is reconciled to the idea that he must do what might make him uncomfortable. So what does he do? He invites them in, gives them lodging for the night, and prepares to go. But he doesn't just go by himself. He takes other men from Joppa with him. I've said it over and over. We're broken people living in a broken world and nothing apart from God's word is going to be perfect. Not in this world. Not in this world. The prejudice in people exists. It has always existed and as long as there are people in this world it will continue to exist. We can't legislate it out of people. We can't round table talk it out of people. We can't force it out of people. But what we can do is allow God to work in our lives and become an example to people that we're not going to allow prejudice to dictate or lead us as we walk in this world. We can allow God to reconcile us and allow him to recon- not only to him but also to others. John, 1 John Three thirteen through 15 says do not marvel my brethren if the world hates you we know that we have passed from from death to life because we love the brethren he who does not love his brethren abides in death and whoever hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Oh, to say that we love one another and not be willing to share life with one another. Folks, the people that you, that you love that don't know Jesus, the only way they can have life is through somebody sharing Jesus with them. They have to receive him. But they'll never receive him if they don't hear about him. And they won't hear about him if we won't share him. If eternal life is abiding in you, know that whatever God has planned for you, he's preparing or he's already prepared you for it. So let's just trust him and fulfill our responsibility in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with this world. Let's not be disinclined or let's not be reluctant to trust God and what he has planned for us. For if we trust him, we will be blessed. Oh, we heard that first, that opening illustration when the gentleman finally trusted God. Gave up what God wanted him to give up. He was blessed. And if we'll give up our pride, if we'll give up false teaching, if we'll give up ourselves and give ourselves over to him, he'll richly bless us for it. As Brother Ronald's coming to the piano, let me encourage you. You who've not trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, do not be reluctant. Do not be disinclined to receive him. 
Today, while the blood is running warm in your body, today, while he is calling, believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus, he left the portals of glory. He come to this sin-cursed world. He lived a sinless life. And because of that, he died on an old rugged cross. It wasn't the nails that held him there. But it was your sins and my sins that nailed him to the cross. And his love for you and I to be willing to have his father forsake him so that we would not be forsaken. That's what kept him on the cross. When it was complete, he said it is finished and he gave up the ghost. They buried him in a barred tomb. And on the third day, under his own power, conquering death, hell, and the grave, he arose victorious, giving us hope of the victory over death and the grave. Oh, death no longer has a sting for the believer. I've said this before, death is my friend because when he comes after me, (laughs) I'm going to be with the Lord. The grave has no victory because there's no grave going to hold my body down. For Jesus will descend with a shout and the voice of an archangel. And the Bible declares that the dead in Christ shall rise first. Amen. Oh, if I'm not here, if I've been placed in the grave, I'm coming out of the grave and I'm meeting my soul and spirit with a new body. And at the same time, those who are alive and remain who know the Lord is their Savior, we're going to all go to be with him for all eternity. Oh, what a day to look forward to. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, today would be the day to be reconciled to God. And then he'll reconcile, reconcile you with others. Would you today, as they begin to sing this song of invitation... Would you today, would you come and receive Jesus while the church is praying, while they're praying, while they're worshiping, while they're, while they're looking to God? Maybe they'll call your name. Oh, if you know someone who's lost, whether they're here or whether they're, they're not, call their name during this song. But if you'll come and just tell me you're ready to be saved, Today, you can know Jesus. If you will believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, and you will confess him with your mouth, then today you can be saved. As a matter of fact, right now, would you pray with me? God, we just thank you for loving me. God, and I give my life to you. Forgive me of my sins. God, and as you forgive me, I receive your son as my savior. God, thank you for saving me. Give me the boldness to step out and to tell this world that I belong to you. And you belong to me. Oh, God, thank you. Oh, if you pray this simple prayer and you meant it from your heart, would you come? Come and tell me that you've received Jesus as your Lord and savior. Would you come now? Would you come?